0: As you're getting settled in, if you'd turn in your copy of the scriptures to Philemon. I'm personally sad to be finishing up Philemon. It's been such a neat book and probably for some of you, you're just starting to remember where it's at. So. Always remember, just after Hebrews, there it is. As we finish the study of this very short letter called Philemon, it's really been a surprising experience for me. Its intimacy and simplicity have been refreshing. It is essentially a one-issue letter centered basically around three men. These men are Paul... Imprisoned at the time for his faithful ministry of the gospel of Christ. Philemon, a slave owner who is known for his faith in Christ and his love for the people of God. And Onesimus, a runaway slave who has been transformed into a godly, useful assistant to Paul during his captivity in prison. These three men, one issue. The first part of Paul's letter written from a Roman prison, is addressed primarily to Philemon. But it also includes two individuals, Apphia and Archippus, and the church that happens to be meeting there in Philemon's home, which is in the city of Colossae. Now with that background, to kind of get us up to speed, it has become very apparent at the beginning of this letter that Paul has an abundance of respect and love for this man Philemon. But above all, I think he exudes absolute confidence in his faithful, God-fearing character. And he is the one that Paul calls his beloved friend and his co-worker. In the second section of the letter, verses 8 through 18, Paul lays out a very carefully worded appeal. An appeal to his close friend Philemon. And he begins by explaining a wonderful life transformation of the man Onesimus. Who happens to be a slave on the run from Philemon. Through Paul's ministry. Even inside the Roman prison walls. Onesimus has been born again. And now is a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul's desire is that Philemon receive Onesimus back. This time as more than a slave. In fact he wants him to receive him back as a beloved brother. Pouring himself into this request. Paul asks Philemon to receive the returning slave Onesimus back into his life just as if he were receiving Paul himself. Treat him as you would me, says Paul. And if Onesimus has wronged you and and it's very clear that Onesimus had wronged Philemon, if he has in any way, Paul said, charge that to my account. Now, this presents us With a powerful metaphor of the gospel of Christ. In a similar but far greater way. All men and women have offended and sinned against the master. The master creator, our God. Because of that, because of that sin and offense. We are separated from God. Many people will not accept that or understand that. But Isaiah chapter 59 tells us very clearly. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Romans 6.23 declares to all of us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So what? Well, so, so what is that the consequences of that sin is spelled out clearly by Paul in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin or what our sin earns us is Death. And that is a physical and a spiritual and an eternal death. Separation from God. Unending torment and perdition and destruction. That's what our sin has gained us. The word of God, though, tells us that we all, we all are like sheep who have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. We have groped. And we have, we have groped for those illusions and those fiat fantasies created by Satan, the world, and even our own sinful flesh. We've groped at them. In vain, we have hoped to satisfy our sinful desires and self-centered drive. But it will not happen. It cannot, they cannot satisfy. But God, one of the greatest brief phrases in all of scripture repeated over and in but God intervened he intervened in the midst of our self destruction and rebellion God God's answer to our helplessness and rebellion what is it? what is the answer to our hopelessness? it is the insurmountable debt of sin we owe God that separates us from him that debt our debt will be paid by his son Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, for we were completely weak, without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. See, God sent Jesus to rescue his children. One of the prophets said, And he, Jesus, has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows. He was wounded he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our filthy sin. Crushed Him and upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, the marks and scars left by the whips, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And what did God do? It says that the Lord laid on Him, His Son, the iniquity and sin of us all. You see, as Paul in this story, in this letter to Philemon, gladly paid the debt Onesimus the slave owed his master Philemon, in a far greater sense, Jesus. Jesus himself gladly paid the debt that his elect children owe their master. The Lord God, he paid our debt. In fact, this act of Christ became the very trademark of God's love. This is the stamp of what God's love is. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's unimaginable. We had no right. And we must often say we receive what we didn't deserve. We, we receive this. We don't deserve this. And that is absolutely true. But the truth of the matter is we did deserve something. And that was eternal destruction and damnation for our rebellion against this perfect and holy God. He paid that price. But there's more to this. There's, there's even greater more to add. But Jesus Christ not only paid our debt we could never pay. By giving his life on the cross, his very own perfect life of obedience to the Father, he placed on our account. He placed that upon us. It was imputed to us. Now God now sees those who have believed in His Son Jesus as having the same righteousness as His Son Jesus Christ. That that is beyond comprehension. You know your lives. I know the filthiness of my life. But Jesus Christ has placed his righteousness over me simply by faith. What a God. God now sees that those who have believed in his Son, Jesus, is having the same righteousness as his Son, Jesus Christ. Christ's righteousness is now our righteousness before God. Philemon was to receive Onesimus, the slave, who is also Paul's spiritual son, as if he were his beloved friend Paul. Jesus has made it so that his followers are now received by God the Father as if they were Jesus, his own beloved son. Paul expressed to a church in Philippi his desire to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I, w- I want to interject this. I've, I've been studying this passage in Isaiah chapter 55, and it is the gospel in Old Testament times. And, and what, when we understand this imputed righteousness, this sin taken from us, I think we grasp what he says here. He says, "Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can you do that? What sense does that make? Well, I will tell you, we do not have the currency. We do not have the money to obtain the eternal riches and blessings that God has. If, if it were even in terms of good works, we don't have them. We don't have the currency. And let's say we had some of the currency. The price is beyond payment. We not only don't have the currency, if we did, we would never have enough to pay what it would pay for us to know this God and to be His very own. It is amazing what God has given to us. That's why we are gathered here this morning to praise and worship a holy God who has sealed our eternity by giving His Son for us And sending his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. If you will believe upon him. Having expressed his heart's appeal to his brother in Christ. In this letter. Philemon. Is to receive back this runaway slave as as Just like you would Paul. Let's pray as we dig into these last few verses to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy and grace that you have showered upon us. I can't say that we were undeserving. We were deserving. We were deserving of hell, of eternal judgment and condemnation. But you have turned that and you have wiped the sin from our lives and your son has paid the price in full. And his perfect life... Of obedience and love for you has been placed upon us by faith Lord helps help us penetrate our minds and hearts with the truth of the gospel this morning as we look at this letter and it's in a, a context that is unfamiliar to us. Lord we, we don't know what it's like to be a runaway slave or to have be slave owners or uh, to be in a prison like Paul this, but Lord please move our hearts and minds into the place where we can hear from you. In your name we pray, amen. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. What we're looking at here are indebted brothers. These are two brothers indebted. And let me explain. There exists, exists, not only a spiritual commitment on the part of Paul to Philemon, but he is now in this letter creating a legal commitment. Paul's statement is not simply a way to affirm that this letter is actually coming from him. In several of his other letters he does that. Uh, He often dictates to what we call an amanuensis. That's like a scribe or a secretary that will take what Paul says and write it down. And often Paul would then take that letter and he would sign or he would write a brief portion of the letter to confirm that it was actually from him. But verse 19 is actually something more, and we know that because it comes on the heels of him making a commitment, even a financial commitment, to his brother Philemon. What we have here is what some people call a personal promissory note with signature. It is a guarantee of payment. One source describes... That it documents the borrower's legally binding promise to repay. Now, although Paul is not the borrower, he assumes the indebted party, Onesimus' responsibility. Gospel truth, right here. Metaphors. But considering Paul's current estate, where is Paul as he writes? He's in prison. And don't think for a minute that, that they haven't confiscated anything of value that he has. It raises a very practical question, doesn't it? Where's Paul going to get any funds to pay this debt? Where has he been during the last few years? He spent most of his time not in his vocation of tent making, but in prison. One commentator, I think, perceptively says, this is why Paul almost in good humor says not to mention you to you not to mention to you which in, in parentheses means i am going to mention this to you not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides now paul honestly would do all that he can to make the reconciliation go smoothly between philemon and onesimus he will and would pay whatever he could However, he and Philemon both probably realize that he doesn't have much to work with in terms of cash reserves at this point. But, think of this letter, the context. That wasn't necessary for these two brothers. Because after all, the actual state of affairs is that Philemon apparently had come to salvation through Paul's ministry. That truly was a debt that Philemon himself could never repay to Paul. So in a way, both Paul and Philemon recognize an indebtedness that neither could pay the other. It's it's an interesting thing to come to as we read this. At this point, Philemon could never repay Paul what he has received in knowing the gospel. And there's probably truth that Paul cannot pay whatever debt Onesimus has. Paul goes on. He says, yes, brother. Let me have something for you. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. It's an appeal to the brother. An appeal to the brother. Uh, We look at this relationship, the brother. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. In this letter, Paul has made clear that both Philemon, the slave owner and Onesimus, the fugitive slave, have experienced something in common. It is what Jesus told the religious legal legal expert Nicodemus, the man who had come secretly to him under the cloak of night. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Philemon and Onesimus have each been born again. Paul, their spiritual father and mentor, himself was born again. You see, all three are now living sons, or are now sons of the living God. They have been made brothers at the deepest level possible. Do you realize that within this assembly? You have become brothers and sisters with each other at the deepest level possible if you have trusted in Christ. For salvation. You have God as your father. And you have an eternity. That you will spend in praise and worship to him. And you have a unique bond. That you do not even have with your natural blood. Brothers and sisters. You have something that is there. Now that is hard for us to often realize. And we have difficulties with each other. And we don't treat each other like this. But the truth of the matter is there is a bond here that supersedes any other bond of relationship that exists in mankind. And that is what Paul is appealing to here. <clears throat> it is what Jesus told Nicodemus. It is what Paul told Philemon and Onesimus. They have been made brothers at this deep level. And in verse 16, Philemon is to recognize Onesimus, Onesimus as his beloved brother. And in verse 20, Paul recognizes Philemon as his brother. Uh, The commentator Lightfoot remarks, This letter is the entreaty of a brother to a brother on behalf of a brother. Hence why in the title and in the uh, main points we talk so much about brother here. As my brother Philemon, he says, Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Let me have joy. And some of you say, Let me have benefits or let me have profit from you. And it's an interesting word. It's... Uh, The Greek word oniname. And it is the verb form of the name Onesimus. Many commentators see this as a pun or play on words like Paul used back in verse 11. Remember when he talked about Onesimus whose name is Mr. Useful. Who was actually rather useless. But has now become useful. He is useful now to Paul and to Philemon. Refresh my heart, brother. Refresh my heart. Paul has already written in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now he is asking Philemon for that same ministry to be given to him while he is shackled in prison. Brother, refresh my heart, just like you have done for the saints. By lovingly receiving Onesimus, his runaway slave, as if he were Paul, Philemon would give Paul great joy and benefit for at least two reasons. One of them being Onesimus is Paul's heart. If we look back in verse 12, Paul says, He is my heart. He is the deep gut level son of my life. He is a son spiritually born during Paul's imprisonment. Philemon's reception of Onesimus would assure Paul that his beloved son is taken care of. In a unique, carefully worded request... Paul has already presented Onesimus as his heart. And now asks Philemon Philemon, for what will refresh his own personal actual heart. Take in my heart as he comes and refresh my heart now as I'm in prison. And secondly, such selfless forgiving would bear witness to the church and to the world that the reconciling power of the gospel of Christ. You see, the church and the world are watching Paul himself is in the midst of the raging battle for the souls of men and women. Remember that he is writing as a prisoner of war. He is a prisoner of the war for the gospel. He is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but he is also shackled in this Roman prison. Refresh my heart. Remember that word refresh, and it describes a picture of a battle-weary platoon of soldiers finally stopping for a rest after a long, arduous march. Philemon's love to Onesimus will utterly refresh Paul as a break in the midst of a long hard gospel combat. He needs it. Paul needs those refreshing times. Bring that to me Philemon by showing love to my spiritual son Onesimus. And do this in the Lord he goes on to say or in Christ as some of the translations read. The obedient fulfillment of Paul's appeal will only be because of Christ. They would have no relationship otherwise. Through Christ. And by the power of Christ. By showing forgiveness. Philemon's ultimate obedience will be to his Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul has absolute confidence in the brother. Verse 21. Confidence in the brother. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love that part of this letter. You will do even more than I'm asking. Confidence. You see Paul is convinced. He is completely persuaded. As to how Philemon is going to respond. He is confident. That Philemon will obey. His specific request. To receive back Onesimus. As if it was him himself. Coming to Philemon. And he is convinced. Absolutely. That Philemon will obey. Because he loves Christ. And he knows that Philemon knows that he speaks on behalf of Christ. That as Paul writes these letters, he is the representative of Christ. Philemon will obey because he desires to obey Christ. And then he says that phrase, you will do even more than I say. Now this phrase has been the subject of a lot of guessing by a whole host of commentators. Some of them try to give a very specific meaning. One of them says this means that Philemon will receive Onesimus and raise him up to minister spiritually alongside him in that community. Another says this means that Philemon will have granted Onesimus emancipation from slavery. Another believes that this is that Philemon will send Onesimus back to Paul to serve him during his imprisonment. And a fourth ventures to say that Philemon will get the message and not only forgive Onesimus, but anyone else who has wronged him. And we have no first and second Philemon to tell us how this all turns out or to know what even more might have meant. But that in itself, that we only have this letter, I think is an indication that all must have gone well to the glory of God. Otherwise, the letter would have been a very weak addition to the New Testament canon. But in view of all that Paul has written of Philemon, I present to you that the phrase even more than I say is by no means a manipulation without stating what he desired. Paul has made it clear repeatedly that he trusts this brother. I believe he is simply continuing to confidently affirm Lehman's godly character. There are individuals and couples in this church that I feel the same way about as he writes here. I could ask some of you to mow my yard while I am gone for a week. And when I got back to town and pulled it into my driveway, the lawn would be immaculate and the French porch would have been repainted. You get it? They would have gone beyond what I wanted because they saw the need, they saw the opportunity. They are those kinds of encouraging servants who go beyond the call of duty. Modern day Philemon's. May we all aspire to that. It is like the positive twist twist on that old adage, you give him an inch and he'll take a mile. Well if you ask Philemon for an inch of forgiveness that brother will pour out a mile of grace. He will go above and beyond. And that's the attitude I believe Paul knew about Philemon. So I think he was just encouraging him. Brother I know you. I know you well. What I'm asking you will do and you will go beyond. And I don't think Paul had a specific thing of what that was going to be. I think he would have told him. Verse 22 says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Here is an eagerly anticipated reunion with the brother. The guest room, it's a place to stay. It's a lodging. It's as if I leave, or Paul is writing and he's saying, Get ready. Lord willing, I think I'm going to be heading your way, church. Get ready. I'm coming. Again. There are many that say this is Paul's way of holding Philemon's feet to the fire to make him accountable. As if, and, and I would say as if to say it this way, just in case, dear brother, who I trust wholeheartedly and hear great reports of your faith in God and loving all the saints, but just in case you don't live up to all this hype from me and others and treat Onesimus wrongly, I want you to know that I will be coming by to check up on you honestly. Is that the picture we get from Paul's own pen of his relationship with Philemon? Not at all. Paul is enthusiastically looking forward to that day that he will be restored face to face with Philemon, the church, and now his own spiritual son from prison, Onesimus. Then he will receive... then he will receive that great joy that he asks for that comes from seeing God at work in the very men that he has discipled. Can you imagine that? To be back and to see this Philemon and this Onesimus who came, who knows what dregs of Roman culture he was in by the time he'd reached that city. It's a runaway fugitive. And somehow stumbles across the path of Paul. He'd been lifted up. He'd become a man of God. No one. I don't remember the source, but one person said that there are no hopeless cases in the scriptures. Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. Does Paul have the authority? Does he have the authority to threaten Philemon with some sort of a checkup or scrutiny? I would say yes, he does. And he has pointed that out at the beginning of the letter. But he has also made clear that that is not his heart with Philemon. He is the one he writes up and says, I have confidence in your obedience and you will do even more than I say. Would he tell such a sure friend, just in case though I'm coming to your house to check up on your obedience. I don't believe. I don't believe that. Now in verse 22, in this verse, a little bit of grammar here. For the first time since verses 1 and 3, Paul uses a plural pronoun so that when he writes of your prayers and granted to you, he is speaking of the church that is gathered together at Philemon's home. And they're hearing this letter read also. <clears throat> Besides the love Paul has for Philemon, Philemon and the church have a deep love for Paul. From what Paul indicates in verse 22, Philemon and the church are already faithfully praying that he be released from prison and brought back to Colossae. Paul's forecasted return would be a wonderful answer to their prayers, not a dreaded inspection visit. But will praying even matter? Will praying matter? He's shackled in a Roman prison. G.K. Beale writes, If Paul is going to come to the Colossian church, it will be by God's doing." Yet Paul realizes at the same time that prayer to God is the means for accomplishing God's plan of bringing Paul to Colossae. If that is a divine plan. End quote. Another commentator by O'Brien agrees. He says it is only God who can secure Paul's release. That is why he is to be petitioned in prayer. End quote. This is the way of prayer, brothers and sisters. Two sides. We know that by God's sovereign power, he works all things together for good to those who love him. He is a sovereign God. He will work to our good. And yet, we are commanded to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So while we can trust God that it will be good what he does every time, he is commanding and encouraging and exhorting us to come to Him in prayer and pray for each other. That's why we ask people for prayer requests and some of them during this last month have been so dear and so, so personal and, and really hard, excruciating. We want to be praying for each other. We want to pray for each other consistently. And I'll beat this uh, drum again. Pray for each other in this church by name. Take the church list. Take the calendar. The calendar has it divided out so that you can pray for a different uh, family or individual each day of the month. Or take the list and and pray weekly for all of them or however you would. But pray for each other. That's a forgotten commitment in the churches today. Don't let that be our case. May we lift each other up and, and I think we will be amazed to see what God does so we are to pray with perseverance and supplication for all saints and then we pray very specifically as Paul requested in Ephesians 6 verse 19 he's in the midst of this spiritual warfare and he tells us the armor to wear and then at the end of that request he says and for me pray that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel so if I, Philemon and the church earnestly pray for Paul's release from prison that he would be restored to them and it wouldn't be a first case scenario. It would be just like the church prayed for Peter. Look in Acts chapter 12 if you would. And please turn to this. Acts chapter 12. It's a wonderful account. Beginning with verse 5. And we'll read by verse 5 through 12. Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That is a sermon in itself constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church and when Herod was about to bring him out that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison so he is locked down securely now behold an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out, and he followed him. And did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And in a way, we have that same sense here. They are praying for Paul, imprisoned over a thousand miles away in Rome, that he will be released and be returned to them. We don't know if that happened. Most, many commentators assume that it did. But that was their prayer, that Paul would be restored to them. James writes to us in his letter and says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now in closing, Paul recalls his brothers in arms. His brothers in arms, it's a phrase, brothers in arms are men who serve together in a struggle, especially in combat. One source writes, by extension, brothers in arms are also men who share a very close, strong relationship. The phrase brothers in arms has been around since the 15th century for fellow soldiers and knights. And as we list, as Paul lists these, try to picture them in your mind. The five brothers standing as described in these final verses are men also mentioned by Paul in his letter to the Colossians. They are a very diverse group of men. I love that. From wide ranging levels of affluence to poverty. They are Jews and they are Gentiles, slaves to free. What an awesome regiment Paul now designates as part of the kingdom army. Paul's greetings, given in verse 23 and 24, are apparently specifically directed to brother Philemon, since in these two verses they are in the singular pronoun form once again. This causes me to think that they were men that greatly loved and respected each other's As brothers in arms. Verse 23. Epaphras. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Greet you. What a man. Epaphras. He was a native of Colossae. He had evangelized his hometown. And was able to start. And apparently lead the church there. That is meeting in Philemon's home. Now at this moment. It appears he is incarcerated. Alongside Paul. Courage. Uncompromising. Paul described him as our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf in the letter to the Colossians. From the fellow prisoner he goes to the fellow laborers as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers. Mark, what a story this is. John Mark, cousin of Paul's traveling companion and pioneering disciple Barnabas. Mark was a close co-worker with Peter. He accompanied Barnabas and Paul to Antioch and later to Cyprus. But he deserted them at Perga, resulting in Paul's refusing to take him on the second missionary journey. This culminated in a strong disagreement and eventually ministry separation between Paul and Barnabas. John Mark then went with Barnabas to Cyprus. But in Colossians chapter 4.10 Mark reappears implying that he has been reconciled to Paul. And by the time of Paul's second imprisonment at Rome, his last, John Mark has been completely restored to Paul. From his prison cell Paul directs Timothy to get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. This is also the writer of the Gospel of Mark. John Mark. What a story. Aristarchus, a Greek name for a Jewish Christian from Thessalonica. He was a companion of Paul's who was seized during a mob riot in Ephesus. Aristarchus accompanied Paul on trips through Greece to Jerusalem. And he was at his side during the voyage to Rome that ended up in shipwreck. And he survived. Paul also labels him in Colossians 4.10 as a fellow prisoner, indicating that Aristarchus has also experienced imprisonment with Paul. Luke, Paul's personal physician, dear close friend and traveling companion on missionary journeys. He has been called Paul's chronicler. He was faithful to Paul. I love this. He was faithful to Paul to the very end even during his pre-execution, second imprisonment in Rome, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Paul wrote, only Luke is with me. What a faithful man. He wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And not to be omitted is the man Demas. As one commentator noted, Demas demonstrated apparently substantial commitment to the Lord's work. quote. He is also included with these other distinguished brothers in Paul's greetings to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse 14 of Colossians. However, at some point prior to Paul's final imprisonment in Rome, the enticement of the world led him to desert Paul, led him to desert Paul and the ministry. Paul records in Second Timothy chapter 4, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Calvin gave this sobering assessment of Demas. And if one of Paul's assistants, having become weary and discouraged, was afterwards drawn aside by the vanity of the world, let no man reckon too confidently on the zeal of a single year. But considering how large a portion of the journey still remains to be accomplished, Let him pray to God for steadfastness. Demas had drifted away. The other man had been steadfast. They were not hailed at the front of the auditorium in big rallies and spectacular events. These men floated on the water hoping they could survive and make it to the island when the ship fell apart. They were in the prisons in the darkness in the chains where nobody knew them, nobody cared about them. These men were obscure in many ways as God then lifted them up out of their obscurity because of their humility to be used by Him. May we be those kind of men and women in the days ahead. Don't stretch for the front place or the high uh, lofty platform. Stretch for Christ, whatever He calls us to. Paul closes his letter by addressing the entire church with what I would call a bookend of grace. He opened the letter in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He closes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You see, God's grace had made Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul each a son of the living creator God. God's grace had destined and made them brothers to each other and younger brothers to the eldest brother, Christ Jesus. God's grace had also made Philemon and Onesimus to be spiritual sons of the same spiritual father, Paul. God's grace works in miraculous ways beyond any of our even greatest imaginations. This is the grace of God. To conclude this study, of the book of Philemon I would ask you to take time to actually affirm faithful Christian brothers and sisters people like John Mark like Luke like us, Aristarchus like Philemon like Onesimus affirm and encourage each other for what you are doing bless and serve each other and then take on the koinonia that we learned from Philemon's ministry the, two weeks ago that fellowship that gives itself completely to one another, even at great cost, but with great reward. Let this koinonia that was demonstrated by Philemon be ever bit a part of our lives. And may we receive each other, though we come from different stratas of wealth, different stratas of education, different job levels, different places in life, family, single, with children, without, elderly, young. May we embrace each other. May we love each other and encourage each other because we are one in Christ, because we are brothers and sisters. This example of Philemon and Onesimus that Paul is calling him to do is a tremendous picture for us. May we be that kind of a church for these reasons, that Christ would be glorified. And that people, the saints, would be refreshed by our loves. By excuse me, by our lo- by our lives, but also by our love, that we would be refreshing. Some of you are like those soldiers coming to the end of that long, arduous march, and you need refreshing. May we refresh each other with this koinonia fellowship, with this love. And how will we do it? As the letter began and as it ends, by the grace of Christ. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And then John says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another let us pray heavenly father we thank you for your word lord thank you that we can go here and dig and father where i where i have misinterpreted or have misspoken please forgive me and i i pray that you will wash that away and you will correct me the lord where your word is spoken by your holy spirit to to our hearts we pray that it will sink in deeply and we will not just walk away from it but we will Commit ourselves to live as men and women, as your sons and daughters, to your glory and to your honor until you return. Lord, may our church receive those who have struggled and fallen. May we receive them back and help them grow and disciple and encourage. Even those within our midst, Lord, may we be honest and open with each other to help each other carry this burden. May we refresh each other as Philemon did the saints. Lord, we owe you everything. We thank you for your promises that it is because of you, it's not because of us, and we can rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.